الحمد لله الحمد لله خالق الوجود من العدم وجاعل النور من الظلم ومخرج الصبر من الألم فملق التوبة على الندم فنشكره على المصائب كما نشكره على النعم ونصلي على رسوله الأكرم بالشرف الأشم والنور الأتم والكتاب المحكم وكمال النبيين والخاتم سيد ولد آدم الذي بشر به عيسى بن مريم ودعا لبعثته إبراهيم عليه السلام حين كان يرفع قواعد بيت الله المحرم فصلى الله عليه وسلم وعلى أتباعه خير الأمم الذين بارك الله بهم كافة الناس العرب منهم والعجم الحمد لله الذي لم يتخذ ولدا ولم يكن له شريك في الملك ولم يكن له ولي من الذل وكبره تكبيرا الحمد لله الذي نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبد الله ورسوله أرسله الله تعالى بالهدى ودين الحق ليظهره على الدين كله وكفى بالله شهيدا فصلى الله عليه وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وإن شر الأمور محدثاتها وإن كل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار قال الله عز وجل في كتابه الكريم بعد أن أقول أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم وما تفرقوا إلا من بعد ما جاءهم العلم بغيا بينهم ولولا كلمة سبقت من ربك إلى أجل مسمى لقضي بينهم وإن الذين أورثوا الكتاب من بعدهم لفي شك منه مريب رب الشحن الصدري ويسر لي أمري وحد العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم لا تجعلنا من الذين هم في شك منه مريب Allah Azza wa Jal describes in the 14th ayah of Surah Ash-Shura a very scary concept that I've been talking to you guys about for the last couple of weeks um, but I realized something this week that I missed and I wanted to first address that and then go forward Our Prophet Sallallahu said, describing what he was given, describing the revelation of the Qur'an and the teachings that he was given, even the ones we find in his hadith, Utitu Jawami Al-Kalim. I was given uh, comprehensive words. The word Jawami is the plural of Jami, which means gatherer. So he was given a few words that carry a lot of meanings. So it would take me a khutbah to describe a few words from the Qur'an, right? And... Even that is summarizing some of the teachings that are inside of that ayah. Uh, so there are very comprehensive lessons from many, many angles that are captured in very few words. And it's one of the powers of the Quran, that it's dealing with very rich realities in very, very few words. And in, in light of that, one of the things that I missed, uh, among the many others that I missed, in talking about this ayah, is last time I spoke to you about how knowledge that is supposed to be a means of humility became a means of you know, recognition, a social kind of uh, dominance, and it became a source of competition, validation, right? And uh, that's the wrong reason to be seeking sacred knowledge. We seek Allah's knowledge to become more humble slaves of Allah, not so we can establish how much more knowledgeable we are over someone else or how more correct we are over someone else. That's the exact opposite of the purpose of learning this religion. So that's something we talked about last time and how people that are, you know, supposedly learning Allah's deen are supposed to be the examples of that kind of humility are the ones that unfortunately sometimes become a source of division and conflict and creating groups and cults that are at odds against each other, each seeking for more territory, more validation. No, we're the true 
flag bearers of Islam. No, they're not, and they're not, and they're not. It becomes a culture of invalidation of, of each other. But there's another dimension to the same thing. So where he says, They didn't fall into disagreement until after knowledge came to them out of baghi. I talked to you about baghi, about the urge not to be satisfied with what you have. You want more, you want more, you want more. Right? That's baghi. From it also comes the idea, you want more influence than the other person has. You want more people to listen to you than they than are listening to them. You want yourself to be recognized more as an authority than they are, right? So this was, on the one hand, a commentary on the, on the corruption of the scholarship of the Israelites, what happened among the Jews and the Christians. But obviously it's timeless enough that Allah mentioned it about them, you know, نَزَلَتْ فِيهِمْ عِبْرَةً لَنَا It was revealed about them, but it's a lesson and warning to us because diseases stay the same, human tendencies are the same, but there's another dimension, the one I didn't mention. So I want to talk to you about that now. And that is that, yes, scholars know a lot about Islam. Someone who's learning knows quite a bit about Islam. But the average Muslim, the one who didn't learn Arabic and didn't study and get an ijazah and tajweed and didn't memorize the Quran and didn't sit in halaqat and, you know, went to normal regular school, went to college university, went to Jum'ah on, you know, Fridays or whatever, right? And learned some basics about how to read the Quran, maybe even a little bit learn the basics of the prayer, the, the average congregation that's coming to the Friday prayer or even the Eid prayer, even they know the basics. Everybody knows that in Islam, alcohol is forbidden. Everybody knows in Islam that zina is forbidden or that you know riba is forbidden. These are not complicated teachings. These are the basics that pretty much everybody knows. Every Muslim, knowledgeable or not, knows that there are five prayers in our religion, that there's a dress code in our religion, that there are certain guidelines about interaction between the genders in our religion. Right? There are there are conditions or there are rights of parents in our religion. There's such a thing as inheritance laws in our religion. We know these basics. Even if we know all the don't know all the details, we know there are rules in place for some of these fundamental parts of life, right? But what happens in a society is that you society often gets divided from the point of view of religious psychology that some people consider themselves let's just say they call themselves normal or they call themselves liberal or they call themselves, you know, Muslim, but not too Muslim, right? And then they look at somebody who's practicing even a little bit more than them as too Islamic or too Muslim or they're Muslim, Muslim, etc. They get these kind of, or, or mullah or whatever, right? And so they, you, you get inside of a Muslim community, those who identify themselves as not too strict and they look at another as too strict and then we, I already talked to you about the people that do practice. Many of them have very good character and actually embody the teachings of Islam. But many of them are learning Islam as a source of dominance and corruption within themselves. So even those who look like they're religious, look like they're practicing, can, have, can be a pretty bad example. But today, let's turn the tables on those who know even a little bit. They know a little bit. And they look at their behavior and they use that to justify to themselves, you know, all these people with beards and all these women with hijab, they're all extreme, they're all crazy. I want to be nothing like them. I want nothing to do with them. And that's why I don't pray. Or that's why I don't go to the masjid. Or that's why I don't, you know, this all this stuff is extreme. And, you know, they may be doing, those people that you're criticizing may be doing something wrong. It's true. But for you and I to use that as an excuse, to throw away the rest of Islam and say, None of it applies to me because those people are so messed up, right? And, and why, did, why would they do that? They already know something's just because 
somebody else is corrupt or not, alcohol is still haram. It didn't become halal because a religious guy is corrupt. Right? It's, what is wrong is still wrong. Whether or not somebody who prays five times, like for example, in my case, I, one time I was, I was uh, cheated in business very badly by a hafiz of the Quran. Right? He used to lead the taraweeh prayers, very religious guy. You would look at him and say, mashallah, right? You want to pray behind this? I was really good, but he cheated like thousands out of me in, in a business deal many, many years ago, right? Now, I could use that as an excuse to say, all oh, these hafad, I don't want to pray behind any of them. They're all corrupt. Forget it. I don't even want to memorize the Quran anymore because of this, this hafiz has scarred me from his. <laughs> no, he hasn't. He's messed up. That doesn't mean the memorization of the Quran is not noble. That doesn't mean praying in the masjid isn't a, isn't a worthy act. So what we, what we do is out of my, out, what I could do is out of my spite for that person, I can use that as an excuse. They use the expression, throw the baby out with the bathwater. So throw Islam out along with the example of this corrupt Muslim, right? So now I'm justifying, just abandoning all the teachings of Islam while it's not that I don't know. I already know. I know what I'm doing is haram. I know it. I know what, I, what I'm supposed to do and I'm not doing it on purpose, but I'm using my spite against this person that I don't want to make them feel like I want to be like them. I want nothing to do with them. My spite against them is actually my own baghi. So even though I know this ayah does apply not just to the scholars, but those even who know the basics, and then use that baghi, that animosity, that urge to not be anything like them or give somebody else the upper hand or appear like they're somebody else, like the others they don't like. Out of that spite, they don't want to practice any of it. So then you get families, Muslim families, that it's not an unheard of phenomenon. Many of you that are listening to me might even identify with this phenomenon. Doesn't matter which country you come from, which culture you come from. You might be raised in a family where not only are they afraid of people that look religious, that they look like they pray five times, all these people are extreme, stay away from them. You're terrified of them. But even if you started practicing any part of Islam that's harmless, like you started praying, you just started praying, and your family is going to have a heart attack, they're going to have a panic attack, are you becoming extreme? What's next? Are you going to blow something up? Is that what you're going to do? Like, there's, there's an entire... And then what happens next is, now the family is going to start attacking the religion every time you're around. Because they want to show you how evil all of these people are and you're becoming just like them. Even though you're becoming nothing, nothing like anything corrupt, you just decided. And I, I even experienced a friend, a person I became friends with who came from a family where they were Muslim for many generations. But because of colonization and what happened in their country and you know overwhelming cultures of, of, of secular influence, they kind of lost Islam over the generations, right? And they, they adapted... They adopted some of the practices of the other cultures that were in their country. I don't have to name the country. But in the other religions that were found in their country, drinking is normal. So over time, in a, in a generation or two, drinking became normal for the Muslims. So they're, they're away from the religion and drinking became part of like breakfast, lunch and dinner. There's a beer there. Right? It's, it's a common thing. And if you're going to get into a business, you're just going to open up a bar. It's good money. It's easy money. Right? And this one family member decides that he just doesn't want to be part of the business anymore. He, decide, he somehow stumbles onto some things about the Qur'an, some things about Islam, and he says, you know what, I'm going to start praying. So first he's drinking and praying. Then he hears the ayat about لا تقربوا الصلاة وأنتم سكارة حتى تعلموا ما تقولون Don't go near the prayer when you're drunk until you know what you're saying. So he stops drinking. 
هل انتم رجسوا من عمل الشيطان فهل انتم منتهون ان هيرز ذا ايات ابوت ذا يو نو ذا كونسمشن اوف الكهول از ون اوف ذا ابومينيشنز اند ايفلز فروم ذا ورك اوف ذا ديفل ار ار يو غونا ستوب اور نوت سو هي ستوبس هي ستوبس نو هي از نوت تيلينج هيز فاميلي تو ستوب هي از نوت تيلينج اني بدي ايلس هي از نوت ليكتشرينج اني بدي ايلس هي از جست نوت درينكينج هيم سيلف بوت هيز فاميلي وينت اغينست هيم هيز فادر ديسونز هيم هي كان ذي ار يلينج ات هيم ات افري غاذرينج بيكوز هي از نوت بيكينج اب ذا بير اند درينكينج هي از نوت هيرتينج يو but somehow you're becoming insecure by him not partaking because you may you're you're accusing him of making them feel bad you're making us look bad what are we all going to hell you are too good for us you can't drink you can't do that. and he's he's getting abused now because he's just holding on to a little bit of the religion and then what comes next every time he's around there's conversations about how extreme these muslims are how crazy these people are don't become crazy like them he's done nothing crazy He just walked away from something that has always been evil that Allah described as evil, right? So what what you get then is you've got the religiously observing, the the conservative if you will, right? And they have their own domination issues and internal conflicts and then those that are barely holding on to Islam, barely have any practices in Islam and they've got their own domination issues. They have baghi and bainahum too. And then in both of those households the next generation is being raised. and these next generations if you're raised in a in a in a, a religious quote unquote by today's definition a religious family and you were raised in a very conservative household and all you saw was your father your mother or the khutbas you attended the halaqat you attended all you heard your whole life was how they are this school of thought is correct and that one is going to hell and this one is deviant and that one is kafir and stay away from them and you have to dress like them and look like them and talk like them and the moment you start asking any questions you're going to go to hellfire etc etc you have this fire and brimstone kind of religion your whole life then you know what eventually a young person who learns to think for themselves burns out and they say I don't want you know I was part of this cult I don't want anything to do with it either they grow up becoming exactly like their generation was they they carry on the same narrow mindedness and conflict or they burn out and they want nothing to do with the religion on the other hand you've got a family that has that is scared of the religion and is okay we're muslim enough for the eid prayer okay that's enough we're muslim enough for some charity here and there maybe the 27th of ramadan we'll do something but other than that i don't don't give me too much islam i just you know it's not for me that's for those crazy people and their next generation says why are we even holding on to this 27th of ramadan and whatever what's the point of it it's i mean you guys think it's all crazy so why don't get rid of all of it why do we have any of it you know so you've got next generations that are either holding on to not what wasn't the religion to begin with islam didn't come so you can defend your school of thought islam didn't come so you can defend your your cult islam came to teach us the word of allah and to share the the rahma of allah with humanity right but when when the sun becomes either this cage something else that it wasn't there that wasn't islam originally but that's what it becomes now it's it's a it's a litmus test if you're dressed this and this and this way then you're muslim if you're not dressed if you're if you know there are cultures in the muslim world if your turban is the wrong color then you're you're a kafir if you're if your head is there's some people that will look at me giving this khutbah right now and call me a kafir because my head isn't covered right i'll say this is against islam etc and that's their reading of it that's Islam for them and and if they're free to that opinion but what's going to happen in the next generation that will become Islam for the next generation which means they're in doubt about what Islam truly is 
And when the actual religion, the actual word of Allah is even presented, here's what happens in religious circles. This is the wild thing. And this is a conversation I had with uh, one of my mentors and teachers, Dr. Akram Nadwi. It, it was fascinating. He was sitting with a group of scholars, right? And he mentioned an ayah. And he mentioned the hadith of the Prophet. And this is someone who has ijazat in hadith. He studied Bukhari and Muslim for 30, 40 years of his life. He studied under great scholars around the world, right? And he's mentioning a hadith of the Prophet And obviously he's not misquoting it or taking it out of context because he's a scholar himself. And he's sitting in the gathering of scholars. And he says, this is what the Prophet said, right? And they're having dinner together. Supposed scholars. And one of them said, yeah, but what did Sheikh so-and-so say? And he paused for a moment and said, you already know what the Messenger of Allah said, You already know what the Quran said. And you know that it's in its proper context. And yet, to you, that has less validation until this other person validates what this hadith says or looks at it until they look at it differently, until then I can't accept it. Now, it's one thing that a, non, that a non-scholar would make a comment like that because they don't know any better. Maybe I should check with some scholarly research. Maybe the hadith is being misused. But when this kind of a conversation is happening among knowledgeable people, and even they will put the word of someone else over and above the word of Allah and His Messenger, you know what that means? That that school of thought or that opinion, that, 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 that cult is actually their religion, not Islam itself. Not Allah and His Messenger Himself. It's shocking. Then, then what, what religion is that? That's not a religion. That's just a, that's just a mafia. That's what that is. You know? And on the flip side, what I'm describing are people that just, they're pushing Islam away, pushing Islam away, but they want their kids to be good. Right? I don't want Islam, too much Islam in my family, but I don't want my child to go against the culture either. So just get me enough Islam that my child lives according to my expectations, and I'll only bring in Islam when I see that my kid is going too far in somewhere. So the only time I'll use Islam is if my child becomes a ma'adullah, if a child becomes addicted to, to drugs. We should probably go find a sheikh or something to spiritually heal this child. Or if a child is going against the wishes of the parents, then maybe we can bring in Islam and say, Islam says parents have rights. Other than that, you're allergic to Islam. You want nothing to do with it. You push it away. But when you need it to, to exert some kind of control over the next generation, then you bring it in, right? So what happens to that next generation? That's in the next few minutes. I'll explain to you what Allah says here. He says when that first generation is broken up, and they're selective about their religion. And they're in just in constant conflict with each other. And no doubt about it, those who inherited the book much after them. So those who inherit the book after these generations have become generations of division and conflict and internal power struggles and selective you know, citation, selective application of the religion. Then the next generation, Allah says about them, that those who inherited the book after them, they are absolutely in, in doubt regarding it. They're in doubt about their religion. Now you and I would think that somebody who used to live in Pakistan or Bangladesh or Egypt or Morocco or Algeria or Jordan or you know Malaysia, Indonesia, Afghanistan, etc. They're raised in a Muslim family. They're Muslims for many generations. They're holding on to their religion. They're holding on to their tradition. The child is being raised here in the Adhan his entire life or her entire life, right? They've heard the Quran. They've seen the, the Eid celebrations and all of it. They will hold on to their religion. And what is Allah saying? That those that have held on to the religion for so many generations, but with this kind of conflict, what's going to happen to the next generation? They will be in doubt about it. 
lafi shakim minhu. They are in doubt about it. And shak in Arabic, Arabic is really rich. And the Quran talks about doubt in many ways. So there are multiple words in Arabic uh, and in the Quran for doubt. And shak is one of them. And shakka in Arabic is actually used when two things are so close to each other, you can't tell them apart. You know when you weld things together, weld metals together, it looks like one piece. But when you, when you uh, uh, screw things together or, you know, Lego pieces, you can tell it's two pieces. But if, if you weld metal together, it looks like one piece, right? So when they would make the, spe the spear and the tip, and they would weld it so well together, you can't tell where this, the tip ends and the spear begins. It looks like one carved piece. That would actually be shak, right? So the idea is two things that are merged and fused together. From it developed a notion of a kind of doubt where something that is true and something that is false are so close together that you cannot tell them apart. And that kind of doubt where you can't tell the difference between right and wrong at all. You're, they look equal to you. Why would, the, ask yourself this question, why would someone ever look at right and wrong and they're confused which one is right, which one is wrong, or they look the same to me? The only way they would do that in this ayah is they saw their elder generation do the right thing and do the wrong thing all at the same time. They were doing, they were praying and they were lying. They were doing hajj and they were earning riba. Right? They were talking about Allah and being grateful and being humble. And they were being arrogant and backbiting and all of this. They were giving charity and they were cheating people out of inheritance at the same time. They're giving zakat and earning haram. <laughs> they were doing the right and the wrong all at the same time, all the time. And the next generation, what is it? And they, they talk about the, the unity of the ummah. This is one ummah. We have one Islam. We have one prophet. We have one Quran. And yet, why, you know, uh, this, this school of thought versus this school of thought, this sheikh versus that sheikh, this bay'ah versus that bay'ah, etc., etc., etc. Conflict, conflict, conflict all the time. So they saw the right and the wrong merge together all the time. So they're like, I can't even tell what's right and wrong. I'm just confused. The next generation is just raised confused. Shakim minhu. And shak can be even more fundamental. Well, if this is the religion, then how do we even know we're following the right religion? I mean, this is the kind of drama that happens in every religion. And you know what's crazy? I used to think this is a Muslim problem until I studied religious psychology and the you know, psychology of the church and religious sociology and the kind of politics you find within the Islamic you know, religious circle, the masjid politics, scholarship politics, school of thought politics, etc., are exactly the same as church politics and synagogue politics and temple politics. Exactly the same. Exactly the same thing. Like I said before, the diseases are the same throughout generations. Just like good has always been good, evil has always been evil, human tendencies have always been human tendencies. You find the same power struggles in the church, you find the same power struggles in the synagogue, you find the same power struggles in the masjid and the Muslim community. So what they what what a young generation then says is all of our all these religions have the same issues all these people have the same personality disorders <laughs> what's the difference anyway why this is just a money making scheme just donate five dollars and get your salvation right everybody just they just want money that's all they want and all they want is fight with each other those are the two things that become apparent about about the religion to them so they're in doubt about it. they're they're not sure why I should even what's what do I even get out of following this religion. What did you get? And, and then you have a generation, you would think, oh, oh, my, my child lost their religion because they came to America, right? They were around non-Muslims and they lost their faith. They went to Australia and they got liberalized. Or they went to, you know, Europe and they got, you, you know, they, they, they got immersed in European culture and lost their faith. No, this ayah is saying you could be in Lahore. 
You could be in Islamabad. You could be in Kuala Lumpur. You could be in Jakarta. You don't have to be in New York City. You don't have to be in London. You know, you, you, don't, you, you don't have to be in Hamburg to lose your religion. That environment is, I told you before, it's not the environment that makes and breaks the real religion of Islam. The people of faith have always been in environments that are hostile to their faith. That's actually where the faith gets stronger, not weaker. Right? But Allah is saying for that, this next generation, it doesn't even matter if they're surrounded by the Adhan. It doesn't even matter if they're surrounded by an Islamic environment. They're in absolutely doubt about it. And the doubt isn't, that's bad enough that they can't even tell the difference between Islam and not Islam because they become equal to them. They've, that's what they've seen practically. But there's another doubt. There's another layer. And you know what that is? Allah says, لَفِي شَكِّ مِنْهُ murib. The last word here is murib. It's a sifa of shak. And the word murib, you know, uh, for my Arabic students, raba yaribu is actually lazim. It's the thulathi mujarrad, to be in doubt. Araba yuribu, the if'al pattern, is muta'addi, to put others in doubt. And from it, the ism fa'il is murib. And the ism, that, that was a little bit technical, but I'll make it simple. They're in a kind of doubt that when others see them, they become doubtful. They become doubtful. So it's, you know how you have someone sick, but that sickness is infectious? The next generation is in a kind of, in limbo, that anybody that comes around them, that may was, was even thinking about Islam, they're a non-Muslim thinking about Islam. When they come into contact with this next generation of Muslims, they get disturbed, why should they even consider Islam? And then notice the, a new word for doubt is being used based on raib. The first doubt I talked about was shak. This word is murib from raib. Like ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ لَا رَيْبَ فِي In the beginning of the Qur'an. The word raib actually means a kind of doubt that, is, that it disturbs you. Raib has disturbance in it, ittirar in it. So now there are people that are becoming disturbed about their faith. They're getting disturbed by being around this next generation of Muslims. It's bothers, it hurts the heart to be around them. And they're spreading disturbance, meaning they're spreading a, 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 an image of the religion. They're spreading an impression of the religion that instead of when you hear about Islam, it should bring calm to your heart, right? But no, this next generation is spreading a kind of Islam by the way they live now in doubt themselves that when others see this Islam, it actually bothers them. They're spreading a bothersome kind of doubt about this religion, like it's something evil, something you should be disturbed about, you know, you be unsure about. And that's how the religion is lost over generations. That's the consequence of what we, what we find ourselves in. And this, this horrifying reality that is described in just these few words, this reality, it seems so hopeless because what does it seem to tell you? That Islam is being lost and then more lost and then more lost after every generation. And instead of the next generation finding stronger iman and stronger you know, conviction, they're actually now doubt is spreading. Skepticism is spreading. Agnosticism is spreading. You know, uh, internal conflicts about Islam are spreading. Criticism of the Quran, of the Sunnah, and then eventually everything is fair game. So now a Muslim can ask, how could the Prophet do this? How come the Quran says that? How come this? How come that? As if the Quran should be doubted in, right? The book that began with, La Raiba Fi, it becomes common for the next generation to pose questions to the Quran as if it's something disturbing and bothersome that doesn't sit well. So now the, the, Islam is associated with disturbance, not harmony and peace.
This is the conflict that has been described in this ayat. Very serious, very heavy stuff. And in face of this conflict, Allah reveals what the Prophet should do. So now, as I end this, I want to tell you what's going to happen in the next khutbah, inshallah ta'ala. Which is, you know, the Prophet ﷺ was told that when he has come in the time of, in, in Mecca, by the time he's come, there have been generations of people that received the Torah, received the Injil, and they've gone through this process. The one that I'm describing, as if you and I are going through it now, our generations are going through it now. There are people that came before us, they already went through this. And things have gotten really, really bad. And then the Prophet is being told, These are, this is the audience you have to deal with. This is who you have to deal with. Now the problem with what he's told is, you're telling me that these people already know and they still don't follow. So if I teach them, I'm teaching them something they already what? They already know. And these people are messed up and they have buggy between them, not because they don't know, but because they already know. So me teaching them what they already know and reinforcing it is not going to do any better for them. It will only increase them in more buggy. And their next generation is actually disturbed about the faith even more. They don't even want to know anymore. So he, the Prophet is being told essentially, sallallahu alayhi wa that you have a nearly impossible audience to give your message to. It's like a hopeless cause, right? So why is he even being given this mission if they're so impossible? What's he supposed to do? In the next ayah, after describing this problem, after describing this issue, then Allah will tell the Prophet ﷺ, what should you, what do I expect from you? You know, because the Messenger was sent ﷺ, to preach the message of Islam to the Mushrikun of Mecca and to the people of the book in Medina and, and beyond, right? So the, there's two basic audiences, the Jews, Christians later on and early on the Mushrikun. In these ayat, Allah told him, it's really hard for the mushrikeen to accept, to, 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 to listen to what you're saying to them, what you're calling them to. It's hard, they're not going to accept it. So first ayah, ayah number 12, 13, he told them, mushrikun, hard sell. Next ayah, the, okay, at least the Jews and Christians will be easier because they know, no, they are, they fall into conflict even after knowing. And their next generation, lost cause. Then, <laughs> These are my audiences, and you've told me they're impossible to deal with. Then he's told what he should do. And that's what we are going to come to now. That's going to be ayah number 15 of this, uh, this remarkable passage. That's what the next khutbah is going to be about. The, the mandate of the Prophet ﷺ in face of all of this. So Allah does not give us a mission without first having us understand the seriousness of the problem. So that's what he's done in these ayat. He helps us understand the seriousness of the problem and then given the Rasul the mandate. And we're going to have to really understand that mandate because by extension, that becomes our mandate. May Allah Jal help us understand, internalize, and live up to that mandate that was given to our Messenger وسلم, so we can reverse this negative tide and bring back what is supposed to be brought back, the deen of fitrah. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim wa nafa'ani wa iyaakum bil ayati wa dhikri al-Hakim. الحمد لله وكفى والصلاة والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى خصوصا على أفضلهم وخاتم النبيين محمد الأمين وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين
قال الله عز وجل في كتابه الكريم بعد أن أقول أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد عباد الله رحمكم الله اتقوا الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربة وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر ولا ذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون أقم الصلاة إن الصلاة كانت على المؤمنين كتابا موقوتا